Last month, some guests were checking out of Hotel 166. It's a posh boutique hotel in downtown Chicago. And most of the staff lined up in the lobby to say goodbye. It was a celebration. We're so happy. It's been a long time. Lynn Wilson was checking out. She'd been at the hotel since May when COVID cases were high. Lynn came to the hotel from one of Chicago's homeless shelters, where she'd been sleeping in a room with 50 other women. Two in nearby beds had tested positive for COVID. That's when Dr. Tom Huggett offered Lynn the chance to move. I went out to all of those shelters, and I talked to every person myself. Tom's a doctor with Lawndale Christian Health Center, a community health organization. He's been serving the homeless for 25 years. Early in the pandemic, COVID was spreading fast through shelters. 60% of tests were coming back positive. And so the city tapped Lawndale to help. We already knew that the match was lit in those shelters. So we needed to move people very, very quickly. Within a week, you know, we had 90 to 100 people here at the hotel. In all, more than 250 people moved into Hotel 166. And then Tom and his team at Lawndale saw an opportunity. They would try to get those hotel guests into long-term housing before the program ended. And there was money to do it. In March, Congress authorized billions of dollars for housing the homeless. It was one of the largest funding packages ever to address homelessness. And by the time Lynn Wilson was checking out, that project was paying off. Lynn was moving into her own place. Here's a little care package, and here's a gift certificate. Uh, We love you so much. I love you all, too. Tom and his team saw everyone off with a gift, and if they accepted, a prayer. Amen. Okay, let's pray, brothers. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for our wonderful, wonderful sister. Lynn moved through the lobby with a walker and a mask. Behind her, someone pushed a trolley laden with stuffed plastic bags. She had tears in her eyes, and so did some of the staff. But Tom's job wasn't done. There were still a lot of people to house, and he had to find places for them before the time at the hotel was up. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, September 18th. Coming up on the show, how the pandemic created an unexpected chance to deal with homelessness and what happened to the effort playing out at one Chicago hotel. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. on in the pandemic, cities all over the country realized they had to act fast to protect people living in homeless shelters. In warmer climates, some cities were able to use outdoor tents, but in colder places, they had to find indoor ways to isolate people. In Chicago, 
They began to use hotel rooms. Our colleague Joe Barrett has been covering the homeless response in Chicago, where officials scrambled to locate hotel rooms to use. And they found this hotel that actually wasn't being occupied at the time. There'd been some kind of a strike. That hotel was Hotel 166. A fancy hotel might seem like an unlikely place to house people coming from shelters. But Joe says that for the city, it made sense on several levels. You know, there was definitely this life-or-death situation, serious illness. There was also kind of a cost-benefit. Remember, at the time, nobody was traveling all of a sudden, so there were all these empty hotel rooms, and this was costing, say, $175 a night. But compare that to a night on a ventilator or a night in a ICU unit, and, you know, and of course, that would be multiple nights. So it was both to protect their lives and really to save money. The city of Chicago turned to Lawndale and to one of its doctors, Tom. Tom made the rounds of the homeless shelters. He was looking for people over 60 or people with pre-existing conditions who were over 55. And he would pitch them on moving to the hotel. Everyone would get their own room and bathroom, their medicines, and three meals a day. If they still weren't convinced, Tom told them he was staying at the hotel, too. I think a lot of people thought that this was going to be an old, nasty hotel. And we would say, well, this is downtown Chicago, Magnificent Mile. I said, oh, yeah, that is a pretty good area, but it still could be a nasty hotel. And I, and I would say, well, I'm staying there. And I think they kind of thought, well, if that white boy stay in there, it must not be that bad. Word spreads quickly in shelters. So it was like, I want to get out of here. You know, I don't want to get coronavirus. People were eager to accept One of the first to sign on was a man named Wayne Smith. Joe met him in April at the hotel. So Wayne Smith is a tall, very polite, quiet guy. Mr. Smith had been in a large shelter where there were bunks three high. Yeah, it uh, actually holds about 600 people. Yeah, yeah. I probably felt pretty, pretty It's really stuffed in there. Now, Wayne had a lot more space. He gave Joe a tour of his hotel room. They gave him a suite. So he had, like, this big room with a coffee table and a giant TV. Well, I guess this is the dining room. I mean, the living room. And this is the bedroom. And then another room with a big bed and a giant TV. And he brought me in and he showed me the view out onto the street. And uh, this is the view. Very nice. East Superior down there. And that's Huron down there. Once people started moving in, Tom had his hands full, dealing with coronavirus patients and other urgent medical issues that the hotel guests had. And there were many. First, we were taking people in for isolation. Then we were figuring out how we were going to give people their medications, how we were going to deal with, you know, folks who had, you know, severe mental illness and all all of a sudden had a manic attack. You know, how we were going to give people their methadone. One man had shown up from the shelter that day and he wasn't able to go to his methadone clinic. And Dr. Huggett turned to me and said, you know, he's going to start to throw up soon. He's already sweating. He's got heart palpitations. And, you know, it's going to get serious as the night goes on. But as the weeks went on, everyone settled into more of a rhythm. 
People got their methadone and other medications on time, and Tom focused more on their day-to-day health issues. I went with Dr. Huggett as he did his rounds, meeting with patients and checking their vitals. Okay, 98.0, that's good. I'm going to throw that right in there. One of the biggest issues is, do they keep up with their medicine when they're, they don't have a regular home? Like, they don't have an address. They don't necessarily, you know, make it to their appointments and stuff like that. There it is, 98% and 67 is your pulse. Those are normal, Mr. Hall. Those are perfect. And by being in this hotel that was run by a team of medical doctors, they were getting the care that they really needed. By May, the health of the hotel residents was improving. Here's Tom. Being housed in one place has allowed us to stabilize so many medical needs. So we've been able to stabilize people's high blood pressure, stabilize their diabetes, take care of their wounds uh, if they have wounds, have, have been able to stabilize folks with their substance use disorder. We've started people who were really hallucinating and had severe mental illness, started them on antipsychotic medication. Tom and his team from Lawndale saw what a big impact that stability was having, even if it was only a hotel room. And they realized they didn't want people to go back into the shelter system. So they decided to embark on a new project. They would try to find housing for all the hotel guests. Here's Joe. I think the people at Lawndale Christian Health feel that housing is health care. They see that, you know, when someone gets into a stable housing situation, their health improves, their mental health improves because they're more likely to show up for appointments. They're more likely to take their medicine. So it's all really connected. The team at Lawndale started to look for long-term housing, and it seemed like the perfect moment to try. Congress had approved billions of dollars for housing for the homeless, funding which isn't usually available in tight city budgets. People who are dealing with this issue realized that there was an opportunity here not just to do something on an emergency basis, but to get people who were out on the street or in shelters into a more permanent situation. Plus, several hotel guests seemed like ideal candidates for getting approved, like Wayne Smith. So Mr. Smith had a housing voucher for a place in Cook County. So that would be any place in Cook County that's outside of Chicago. The the voucher. Yeah, I got all that that paperwork right Oh my gosh, look at that. Yeah, this is what... You are organized. He was talking to Dr. Huggett and saying look, you know, you you should really be able to get me into housing. I've got a voucher from Cook County, which should be able to get me an apartment in suburban Chicago. His voucher had just expired. A couple of days, but she said she'll give me another extension okay. if I need it. So. so there was hope for people like that. Tom promised Wayne he'd do everything he could to get him into housing. So we'll keep on fighting. We That's what our team is doing. You know our team is working hard. Yeah, I know. So we'll keep on fighting. Thank you very much. God bless you. But while Wayne's case seemed relatively simple, Joe was skeptical. Most of the people at the hotel wanted housing, and there wasn't that much time. The hotel was going to run out of funding in September. And getting approved for housing is a difficult and time-consuming process. And I asked Dr. Huggett, you know, like, how do you make this work? Is that, is that pie in the sky to think that you're going to end up being able to put these people into you know, a, a better situation at when, when this is all over. I told Mr. Smith, I'm going to fight. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. And for me, that's what it comes down to. Social justice demanded this years, years and years ago. Rather than just saying, oh, it's okay, 
for people to sleep in triple bunk beds with 170, 150 people in the room, sharing showers and baths, when that's not what they want. So we're fighting for something that something that folks want, and that they should, that we should be able to supply. I know. That's what that's how it is for me. I was like, this is a really nice thing that they're doing. But to me, it felt like they were dreaming a little bit. The economy was crashing, state budgets were going downhill, and I just didn't see where they were going to have the wherewithal to pull this off. But the staff was passionate, there was money for the project, and there were three months left. Tom and his team got to work. The next few weeks would be critical. What happened after the break? This episode is brought to you by C3 AI. C3 Generative AI enables rapid access to secure, traceable, hallucination-free insights from enterprise systems, all while using any LLM, helping enterprises turn the invisible into the obvious. Learn more at c3.ai. At the end of July, Tom and his team were in the thick of trying to find permanent homes for everyone, and they held a series of housing events at the hotel. Everybody had a chance to come down to a conference room and look through different housing options. They could pick apartments based on their neighborhood. They got to flip through photos and see which ones, you know, looked most appealing to them. And they filled out applications, you know, it was all set up like a big assembly line. At that event, several people had been told they'd be able to move into their new places within a week or two. But now, more than a month later, many of the apartments still hadn't come through. Tom was feeling frustrated. I, I actually had a dream the other night. There are so many acronyms with housing, you know, with EHI, Expedited Housing Initiative, and PSH, Permanent Supportive Housing, and the Continuum of Care. So I had this dream, and all these things were on Post-it notes. And I was trying to put these Post-it notes on these pieces of paper so I could kind of understand the flow. And then it just became just like a tornado. And these Post-it notes were going around and around me, and I couldn't figure anything out. And then I just kind of woke up, you know? I don't know if it was a dream or a nightmare, but it's kind of what our guests experience. The barriers that they have to achieving housing are immense. All sorts of complications were coming up. Here's Joe. It's a very difficult thing to get permanent housing. You have to have, you know, a, a permanent address in order for it to for you to get it. Then you had other people who didn't have a birth certificate or they didn't have a social security card or they didn't have a state ID. When you're living from shelter to shelter, you know, you're vulnerable to crime. People can steal your stuff. Some of these people have mental health issues and they just kind of might not realize the importance of the documentation that they already have. Some of it just gets lost. Lawndale had a team of people keeping track of everyone's documents and helping them navigate the various agencies, paying fees and filling out paperwork. But there were other problems, too, that were less easy to solve like the one Wayne Smith was facing. Mr. Smith had a voucher for over $1,000 a month, and they found him an $800 apartment, but the landlord did a credit check, and he had terrible credit. He's a homeless guy. I mean, what would you expect? 
And why should that be a barrier to, to get somebody housing when they've got a guaranteed voucher worth a certain amount of money? For Tom, what happened to Wayne was an example of how the system can stand in the way of helping people get back on their feet. Landlords are using a way of either screening or, you know, quasi-redlining to say, well, if you don't have a credit score above 650, even if your voucher completely covers the cost of the rent, we're not going to rent to you. That is really discouraging. A low credit score was just one of the ways landlords could screen out people like Wayne. Meanwhile, another hotel guest, Sharon Goodlow, was facing a different barrier. I'm 68 years old. I've been here since, I've been here for four months. Sharon's been through a lot. She had a child young, never finished college, and more than once, she got mixed up with drugs. Just dibbling and dabbling and messing around with drugs and alcohol, and it took me to a very dark place in my life. Um, The landlord wanted me to leave. I got evicted. That eviction was a problem for Sharon, like Wayne's low credit score was for him. She thinks it was the reason she got turned down for an apartment. But Tom and his team didn't give up. And one day, at the end of August, Sharon finally got the call. I was here looking at the television, and she called me on the phone, and she said, Sharon, I said, yes. And she says, um, the apartment was approved. And I fell off the bed. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised and happy, too. And I was jumping up and down and... You know, I'm just in this room, and I was talking to God, you know, and I was just so, this is great. Now, how long is it going to take me to get the keys? Eventually, Wayne's apartment also came through. So did housing for a lot of others. By the end of the summer, the team found housing for at least 133 of more than 250 people who'd spent time at the hotel. Tom calls the program a success, and Joe, who was skeptical at the beginning, agrees. This was kind of a grand experiment in taking people out of one kind of situation and seeing how they do in another one. Hotel 166 shows that when people are given a decent place to live, they are having sort of positive social interactions with people and they're feeling safe. They can make improvements in their lives. What are the lessons here for how to help people experiencing homelessness going forward? I mean, I think one of the things that is an issue with homelessness is that the face is always changing. And Hotel 166 was dealing with a snapshot in time and all the people in the homeless pipeline at that moment. And we just really haven't seen all the fallout from the pandemic. I mean, there's still people being laid off. There's still companies making cutbacks. We don't know what the next wave of homelessness is going to look like. And we're just going to have to wait and see what the solutions will be when those people come along. That's all for today, Friday, September 18th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are me, Kate Leinbaugh, and Ryan Knudsen. Ryan is taking some time off after a personal loss. He'll be back in a few weeks, and we wish him and his family all the best. The show's made by Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Annie Minoff, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Novetsky, Caitlin O'Keefe, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok. Our theme music is by So Wiley. 
Additional music this week from Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, Emma Munger, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Joy Crane. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.